What do you think when a robotics company comes into an old industry? Do they shake it up, tell everyone that their old technology is out of date, make things so complex that only people with PhDs can understand what's going on? I think that's the fear of a lot of people, especially people outside of robotics. But it's not always the case. In this episode, I speak with Ben Alfie, CEO and co-founder of Blue White Robotics, a robotics startup in agriculture that just closed their Series C investment round. Blue White is doing something different. They're trying to blend in. They want to make it easy for farmers so they can use their existing equipment, work with the same dealers, and do things their way, all while adding robots to make things more efficient and especially get the work done in spite of increasing labor shortages. You'll like this episode if you're interested in robots and agriculture, the ethics of disruptive tech, and a clever business model that creates opportunities for more jobs. I'm Audro Nash. This is my podcast. I hope you enjoy my interview with Ben Alfie. Hi, Ben. Would you introduce yourself? I am very happy to be here today. My name is Ben Alfie. Uh, people call me Alfie too many years in the Air Force. So uh, you've been called by your surname. And I'm uh, 50 years old, uh, very young entrepreneur though, only uh, six years in the startup uh, ecosystem. Wow. And okay. uh, CEO and founder of Blue White. Yes, and tell me about Blue White. Well, Blue White is a data-driven autonomous farm company. Uh, mm -hmm. We are uh, dealing and uh, assisting how to uh, create disruption around the autonomy in the agriculture market and the way we do it. Uh, we are uh, bolting in existing tractors, transform them to autonomy, uh, adding mm -hmm. a kit on it. And uh, in that way, uh, one person can operate different type of tractors uh, in his farm uh, with an iPad uh, or a laptop or a cell phone, whatever he needs. Uh, and the idea is that uh, with the labor shortage today in the market and the idea of um, food is getting more and more expensive, uh, Blue White is creating a model that enables uh, the adoption quite fast by uh, dealing with the existing uh, people, existing people you have, and the existing uh, tractors you have in the field. Uh, mm -hmm. What's nice about what we're doing is that we're focusing in um, permanent crops, uh, meaning vineyards, citrus, uh, apples, uh, almonds, and, and such a like, what has been called as high value crops. So it's all year long, a lot of tractors per acre at the same area. So these are the places that the labor shortage is very high and the need and the demand is very high. And on mm -hmm. the technological side, uh, which you are uh, very keen on, uh, you and the listeners, uh, these are areas with no connectivity, no GPS. So relying on standard GPS uh, or standard connectivity won't get you anywhere. Uh, so mm -hmm. we have a nice technology, which I'm sure we'll dig into along the discussion. We definitely will. Okay, so uh, going back just a little bit, you brought up a lot of very interesting things there. 
First, you mentioned it's a kit. So you're bolting it to existing tractors. Tell me a bit about why take that approach and what that actually means. So you have like a, a box you're just strapping onto tractors and then integrating into the system, or what does it mean? Um, it means that um, you know we are a commercial autonomous company. Uh, so mm -hmm. today the go-to market is a dealership of John Deere or New Holland are mm -hmm. uh, selling and installing on tractors uh, blue-white capabilities. And um, how does it go? You were sending like an IKEA kit uh, to a dealership. A dealership has an, uh, an order for, uh, from a grower that he wants uh, his existing fleet to transform to autonomy. They mm -hmm. take his tractors. In the morning, the tractor is totally manual. Nothing happened on it. And in the afternoon, it's autonomous. After two people worked on it for a, a few hours. And mm -hmm. after checkups, after all the integration, after all the sensor integration and everything, uh, from actuation to uh, being connected to the cloud, so you can start operating it. And that's about it. This is just the first phase. The second phase is how to implement it in the farm itself. And this is also yes. something that we're helping uh, or the dealership can do it also. Okay. So tell me more about this kit. So when these two people are installing it in just a few hours, um, what are they taking as a component? And then uh, they're, mm -hmm. how are they connecting it to the tractor or whatever equipment you're going to automate? So uh, it's, uh, it depends on how smart the tractor is. Most of the tractors today are just manual tractors with no computer mm -hmm. on it. Some of them already are digital in some places. And some of them in the future will be drive by wire. So you can actually can connect to some kind of a computer and work it. And the way it's done today, and the kit includes uh, actuation on the mm -hmm. gas brake and the digital uh, electric uh, gear. And another component will be the sensing, uh, front sensing and uh, other sensors that will go and uh, to understand what is happening. So it's mm -hmm. the actuations are the muscles, the ability to move the muscles, the sensing is the ability to sense and understand what's going on around me. And you cannot depend just on one sensor. It can be a GPS, LiDAR, a visual, and others, because we're doing mm -hmm. sensor fusion, a set of communication, and, and compute, because you need also onboard computing, because the tractor, if it doesn't have connectivity, still needs to know how to drive safely in a good way, even without somebody looking after him. Very cool. It's really cool to me that you are outfitting tractors that may have no digital systems in it, like purely mechanical mm -hmm. tractors. Most of them are today. We're guessing in wow. five years it will be different, but what most of them are just without anything. Maybe some kind of a canvas to identify um, uh, faults, like in your oil uh, status or a... Uh, huge gauges or other things like that. But most of them are really classic mechanical uh, tractors. Mm -hmm. And then so you'll have like 
I don't know, it, it'll, it probably looks like a cam or like a little foot and you put it on a servo and then that servo can push the accelerator and push the brake. Another one will push the brake. So part of these, the technicians installing this, part of their work is to place these motors in a place that they're actually accessing the controls. Is it correct? You're doing it on top. I uh, look at it as a, if it's like a handicapped, oh. handicapped uh, vehicle. And so uh, this is, uh, but it's, these are, you know, these are off the shelf capabilities and uh, the big things are mm -hmm. the algorithms and the being smart behind it and understanding how to operate with the same software, all those uh, different type of tractors, different type of crops day and night, and also different type of implements, whatever yeah. is in the back. We're, we're not just tractoring, you know, we need to do, make sure the job is being done. Yeah. What? So, not just tractoring. What other jobs or what other vehicles are you automating? So it's when we say not just tractoring, it means that the tractor needs to mow, to spray, to herbicide, ah. to pesticide, whatever is at the back over there needs to be very accurate. You need to know if it's working correctly. We are ah. saving so much money on chemicals, so much uh, to the earth on putting just extra chemicals on on. Uh, the vineyard or almond trees, uh, our sensors understand if there is or there isn't uh, a tree. So you can stop the sprayer, start the sprayer. Is it a big tree, a Very small cool. tree? Uh, is it at the end of the row and now you just need to stop it? Uh, today, it doesn't happen. Today, people yeah. just spend more and more uh, chemicals and it's not good for the people that are driving next to it and dying from cancer uh, too early, uh, and uh, it's not good for the environment. Definitely. Yeah, I, I do think that there's a lot of opportunity for robotics to improve environmental things by making it so that you don't have to do as much fertilizer or pesticides or something like this, yep. because you can have more targeted use or through automation, exactly. and also maybe more persistent use uh, because you can have it running more frequently versus having to spray more heavily because you're going to run less frequently because people are scarce or something like this. And the availability, you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you're doing it not at the correct timing uh, or Definitely. the weekend costs you 150% because of the labor cost or nighttime uh -huh. is too costly and then you are not doing it at the correct time. So you just uh -huh. overspray, overuse on your chemicals and, yep. and also uh, Think of uh, the amount of tractors that you need in the farm. Uh, we are saving around 35% of the amount of tractors you need because they can do double shift. That's so cool. And we're saving 85% on the chemicals because we're doing it accurately. Okay. So that sounds wonderful to me. Going, I want to I wanna understand the system really well mm -hmm. uh, before. And I want to get into like the cloud infrastructure and everything that you guys provide. Um, but so you have actuators that are moving the tractor and controlling things. Um, what, what kinds of sensors do you typically use? Because you mentioned you're often in GPS or connectivity denied environments. Um, what are you relying on? And you mentioned sensor, sensor fusion, but how are you approaching it from a sensing perspective? And I think this is a key question also, key way of how we're approaching it. Mm-hmm. We're talking about autonomous vehicles for quite a long time. There are a few uh, 
very few companies that can say that they are commercial in autonomous vehicles like Blue White. Definitely. And being commercial means that you need redundancies and you need to be safe, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. It's uh, easy to demonstrate a tractor running in the farm or in the field, but it's totally different to have 50,000 hours of those tractors running around day and night, wow. a few tons tractors with the, with the grower. So how do we do that? It's all about redundancies. And uh, the way we are creating those redundancies is by uh, creating parallel uh, navigation solutions. It can be a navigation solution done by GPS and RTK, where you have it. It can be a navigation mm-hmm. solution by a LiDAR, which is an amazing uh, sensor. Uh, a lot of people invested through the urban mobility uh, companies mm-hmm. who invested in so many sensing and were taking those capabilities off the shelf to um, the agriculture space. So LiDAR sensor, mm-hmm. visual sensors, odometry, and other tricks that we have added inside. And think of it that you are driving and all the time the computer gives you four types of solutions. So you can have decision-making who is now incorrect because they are checking each other. Mm-hmm. And if you see abnormality, uh, you can decide who should be the main uh, navigation system. For example, uh, a vineyard during uh, autumn and it's open skies, a good reception, give the GPS and RTK, let them have the number one and keep mm-hmm. the LiDAR and visual as obstacle detection only. Uh, almond trees, August, 120 degrees Fahrenheit in Fresno, California, and under the foliage uh, at night. No reception, no nothing. So you'll give the odometry and the LiDAR, uh, you'll let them be number one and two. And then you'll put the visual number three. And then, only then, you just uh, not rely, GPS. but understand where you are in the other one. So this is, and, and all this is happening automatically. You as the oh, operator are not bad. deciding what is, because the operator is, you know, somebody who doesn't understand technology. Everything needs to be very simple. Stop play. Uh, spray, mow, uh, this is the speed I want, this is the block I want. Other than that, mm. uh, we, are, we are counting on, uh, on the machine to be safe. So the machine automatically knows, hey, I'm in an almond block, it's summer. This is what I see. I understand what should be the prioritization. I will give certain prioritization, but if something is changing at real time, I will change prioritization accordingly. Mm-hmm. And unlike so, urban mobility, at the end of the day, it's only you know, up to five miles per hour. So I just stop. <laughs> yeah, that's a big advantage that makes this problem a lot easier, even though it's super hard, is that you can just stop. Like something's weird with the connectivity, just stop. And it's not that big of a deal. Um, it is a yeah, big of a deal on the quality of work. And the, the idea yes. that we're not stopping a lot is great. But on the yep. safety issue, it's... It's much a bigger of a deal if you have a safety event. So yes, for sure. This is how we're working. Yeah. So you have several different tracks that are all figuring out localization independently, and you can figure out which of those you want to listen to. 
Uh, so I'm imagining like a weighted consensus for figuring out where you are. How, and you mentioned that it changes based on certain factors. Um, like if you have the almond trees and they're blocking out GPS or whatever it might be, um, then you switch to just using sensors on the robot. How are you um, picking between this? Because you mentioned that the farmer doesn't have to do it. Is it like you do a, a, an evaluation of the environment and then you use the environment and your sensor availability and maybe some other heuristics like time of day to select a weighting? for these different localization types or how, how do you how do you pick from there okay so um i've tried to simplify it but it's complicated and sure. so, the, so the way it's happening is that you can have a, a basic assumptions upon a time of day where i am what is the field what is the mission spray no if I mow, there will be more dust. If I'm spraying, there will be more oh, uh, humid, things like that. So okay. um, what do I depend on? After that, uh, how old is the, uh, the orchard? Is it a young orchard, an old orchard? A lot of things like that are happening also. And also in the algorithms that we're using, should we rely on the classic algorithms or the AI? The AI mm -hmm. is much more flexible yet less predictable it needs more maturity so these are the balance do i have an ai machine ai algorithm that is running well enough and mature enough and got a good scoring already that i can give it let him be a, a part of the decision making or it will be still piggy bank just riding along and collecting hours <laughs> until the truth true false and the false truths will be um in a good way so it helps ai helps for scale classic algorithms yep. helps for starting to run and these are balances and what is nice that we it, it happens in a way that it's transparent so you have around four types of sensors and around let's say anything between eight to 16 types of solutions that are running and that way you are able to run it run some of them is based on pre-assumptions but real life scenario what actually is happening can change the assumptions in real time and then at the post-processing the planning the planning for next time will be okay this block the pre-assumptions were wrong these are the pre-assumptions that should happen mm -hmm. that seems very cool okay and so you have your tractors, your tractors have these actuators to control them, and then they have these sensors that you are using to figure out things like localization. Um, and then you have your implement, which is whatever you're towing. It's the mower, it's the sprayer, these kinds of things. Are you putting sensors on the implement, on the sprayers? I'm calling it the right thing. Uh, yes, implement is what we... Yes, yes. Okay, just making sure. Yeah. Um, so if we, if we put it... Are you putting sensors on the implement or how are you evaluating what, how you're doing, I guess, with the implement? Or do you just have a model of what it is that you're towing and when do you turn it on and off? Or how sophisticated is your control of the implement? So just like the relationship we have with the tractor uh, is that we don't own the tractor. The tractor is the growers or the OEMs. Mm -hmm. Uh, we are uh, blending in. Same is the idea with the implements. 
And, cool. And the implements where we, because we are commercial, uh, the benefit for the implement for, uh, uh, providers or makers is that they want to work with us and we provide APIs and help them how to make their implement smart. There is a sprayer and there is a smart sprayer. And so if I have enough information, and so, and, and what, what we're doing, we're, we have uh, four grades, four levels of how smart an implement should be. Mm -hmm. First one is uh, on and off. Can I operate? Can I just switch it on and off? Then yep. can I, how can I assure the quality of the work? Can I just the altitude of the mowing, the mower uh, with the sensor, yes or no? Sometimes the um, uh, the company that created that more, they will talk to us and we'll help them how to adjust and what should be implemented and they will do it. And some places will just add a sensor in, in key areas. Uh, for scale, we see ourselves more of helping those companies creating the next generation and make them uh, what we call the implement blue-white ready. Uh, so it's uh, on-off. Uh, sensing on the quality of work and um, what we call also about, uh, we talk about uh, preemptive maintenance. If I oh, know I that. that I can drive at a certain PTO level, a certain uh, engine uh, uh, RPM, and it drives to my spinner hour, and now I see that I need to have more force and nothing has really happened. Okay, what is happening over there with the mower? What is happening over there mm. with the implement? And uh, the last thing is the ability to report and to also control, control nozzles, certain nozzles to shut uh, off, certain nozzles to open. These are things that we're doing. And in that way, um, working with the implement companies or enabling by ourselves in certain areas, this is how we're doing uh, those capabilities. Hmm. Okay, I like that a lot. And those are very exciting. Like the, the maintenance one in particular is very, very exciting to me. It's huge. Um, Real yeah, time for, for sure. safety, what we call critical understanding. Mm -hmm. uh, it's amazing how we are neglecting uh, the understanding of a person that is running. Just understand something just went wrong. And mm -hmm. how do we understand the same thing? Noise, uh, vibration. And, and something is stuck. I need more more power. All kinds of things. Anything like that. anomalous. Exactly. Yeah, something's different. Exactly. Something might have happened. Exactly. Yeah, I think I, that's one of the huge gains I think from automating these systems. It, so it sounds to me like the core competence of your business of Blue White is to create this mobility kit for farm vehicles. And then an added thing, it's almost like a, a side business within it, is to expose um, expose what you're doing and give yourself systems so you can control implements and you can help other companies to make their implements work well with your systems. Um, and so it's outside of your work, but other companies can be lucrative uh, can have lucrative jobs of just retrofitting or designing their systems to work well with your system. Is uh, it correct that there's kind uh, of these two parts? The, first of all, we see ourselves also responsible to to make it happen with them. To help them. And I oh, think definitely. there is a huge uh, element that we disregard until now is the operating system. 
Oh, okay. So this is why we see ourselves as autonom- data-driven autonomous farm and not uh, aftermarket kit for autonomy. What does yeah. it mean? It means that in a certain farm, you don't have just John Deere. You don't have just New Holland. You don't have just one type of tractor. You have different types. And you don't want as an operator not to have six type of, op- of operating systems because you have six type of uh, tractors mm-hmm. or implements or crop. One operating yeah, system, system knows how to mm-hmm. operate everything. And the last layer is that those tractors are running. Sensors are there already. They collect a lot of data. There is no reason not to share that data with the grower, with the uh, uh, farm manager, with the agronomist, with whatever agriculture company that the grower wants to work with, that wants to do yield prediction or uh, weather or the, his insurance company that he wants to show them that his farm is working correctly. So the ability to be also data in, enabler for the grower, for ourselves, to give him operational insight, to share it with third party that can give him also agriculture insight, all that. This is how we look ourselves as a full package. Yes, yeah, it's the whole vertical stack exactly. of farming exactly. using large machinery. Exactly. Okay, yeah, okay, I love that. Tell me more about the cloud component. Like what's actually, I guess the first thing, because I, I kind of like going up the stack. So we started from yeah. actuators, then we go to sensors, um, and then implements included in that. Then after it's, how are we sending data to the cloud? Like how, how does that actually work? Because you're in these connectivity, um, connectivity denied environments. Is there like a home base that the tractor returns to where it has uploadability? Or how does, how, how does this work? This is uh, one of the biggest things that we didn't know that we didn't know. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I think we have uh, achieved, uh, first and foremost, on the system engineering. And mm-hmm. the second is how to actually make it happen. What is the relationship of uh, a cloud-based operating system and uh, what we know from other markets, our IoT device. So if we use a look at this robot as an IoT oh, device, yeah. um, one thing, what is needed to be computed on the tractor? Okay, now how do I also relay, okay, you are the user, you're operating. It was under mm-hmm. the foliage running all that row for like half a mile. Okay, what, how do I know what happened? When should I know? Should I know it at real time? Should I do an assumption and then upload it? How do you mm-hmm. uh, also cache it correctly uh, to the operating system so it won't be an overlapping of what really happened? So yeah. this is the coordination that we've done. There are some things that are we've created a, a section of what is really, really important. Okay, where are you? <laughs> or stop, start. I want you to stop yeah, now. I want important. you to start. Okay. Then what uh, do I, okay. Uh, how is the, are you healthy? Uh, what is going on? Do you need my help? Uh, what is really happening? Oh, the data of the camera uh, to collect it, collect it now on the, uh, on yourself, on your Android computer. But when I need it, upload it when I need it or when I ask for it or at the end of the shift. Not all the information is important right now. Uh, black box. 
it's a, it is a machine. Something will happen. Mm -hmm. I need a black box to understand when a fault has happened. Do a record. I need you to record all the time oh. and track what has happened so I can extract uh, logs and uh, all those layers of information. So some of it will be on the cloud. Some yep. of it will be on the endpoint on the computer itself. And it should be synced in a way that it's not just overwriting. And I know exactly from which tractor and also privacy wise, also security wise and all those layers. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense. You're prioritizing what to send out first, given your connectivity and things like this. Um, when you were mentioning the black box, um, I was a bit confused initially, but I think what you're referring to, it's like in uh, airplanes, they have that box that's supposed to survive no matter yeah. what. Yeah. So you have, there's an analogous system that records logs and things like this on tractors, I suppose. Yes. Is that yes. correct? Although uh -huh. there is no definition that it should be, yep. uh, we are coming back from uh, 20 years of autonomous vehicles, mostly air vehicles and others. And mm -hmm. we believe that this is how it should be. So we've created like under urban mobility uh, standards and the oh, cool. agriculture standards. So this is a great way to understand what has really happened uh, uh, that I can also pull on demand information and to, you know, troubleshoot, understand what is happening. And also if something has happened to know wh why it happened and where. Yes, definitely. And then, so if you're in the situation where you're operating in a fully internet and GPS um, denied environment, so you just don't have access to those, maybe you then just tell the user, um, at first you are operating in those kinds of environments where you yes. have just no, uh, so no we created, connectivity. Yeah, we, we created local 5G networks, as an example. Oh, with Intel so you put them throughout? Ah. Do you put them throughout the orchard or something like that? or We try so not to spend too much money on infrastructure right now and also to the yeah. grower. You need it to be cost effective. Uh, each farm somehow has an internet connection. It can be also at the farm manager's uh, office. Ah. And from there so, you are like linking with an antenna if needed with local, G, uh, local 5G networks. And we're working with ah. third parties to enable that. We will see more and more symbiotic um, um, private Work and uh, public networks running together. And again, uh -huh. it should be transparent to the tractor and should be transparent to the tractor operator. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Okay, so you where there is GPS denied, not GPS, maybe you don't need Connectivity GPS, but where denied. there is denied, you'll yeah. provide some infrastructure and maybe maybe the robot can go in and out of connectivity even still, exactly. um, but you still are checking in occasionally and prioritizing things like I can turn it off if I need yeah. or um, so it doesn't drop out for like huge periods yeah. of times, just maybe yeah. like a, a second here or yeah. a few seconds you, there. Exactly. And you can also decide, you know, how you want to, what are the rules? Okay. If I have no connectivity, mm -hmm. should I stop? Am I allowed to get until the end of the row? Before oh, I turn yeah. at the end of the row, should I stop and wait until there is connectivity? Is it a, a place? So uh, the grower can decide what are the rules of, uh, okay, how uh, how free is that place from uh, any other place, any others just to run uh, 
and play. Mm -hmm. So what strikes me with this is that the growers often have a lot of configuration available to them. Um, so if they, they want to set the rule, don't drive this far without connectivity or something, cause I want to be able to shut you off at any time, or I don't know, maybe there's more specific like farm procedural stuff. One farmer wants to do it this way versus exactly. another wants to do it that way. How do you manage and expose them, the growers to that kind of configuration? Mm -hmm. Um, I imagine it's like customer onboarding and it's a one-time exactly. infrastructure setup. Exactly, spot on. So it is like so that? So it's the customer onboarding. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, every in orchard, you spray around 20 times a year for 20 years. That's a lot. So okay. uh, the idea is just uh, these are the efforts at the beginning. Uh, and also we have, you know, our, uh, our home recommendations. So I want mm -hmm. it to be with recommendation and automatic. Okay, it's an almond orchard. This is how it looks. These are the automatic. But I want also the grower to have the ability to be flexible. If used, is used to skip every two rows. So what? I will give him a planning that it's automatically only every row. You just tell me how you want to do it. Uh, you want to skip every three rows, every four rows. You like different speed. Anything that you want uh, mm -hmm. should be addressable. And again, he has either a blue-white team that is on the support uh, online that can uh, he can get more uh, uh, help, or uh, also dealerships that are helping him on the onboarding mm. to do it. So he's not alone. Gotcha. Okay, this is the main idea: not to be alone, but uh, tell me what to do. But also, I w when I want to do something, let me have it. Let me do it. And as long as it's um, safe and it doesn't uh, infringe safety, we will help. It's all good. Yeah. So when, when you send out a person or a small team of people to onboard a new customer, mm -hmm. is it um, is it like engineers are going out Definitely or is it not. technicians? <laughs> or, okay. So a lot of this is exposed at a high level configuration. And so you have people that are... It's like uh, operators. Or how do you, no, no, it's even it's just uh, just operators. Uh, we oh. used to operate in the past. Now we're moving more from a service company to a product company because it's mature cool. enough. And uh, but the know-how on how to do it, and you know, to give uh, to help adoption, to help yep. the adoption, and to help uh, um, to help uh, the growers uh, to use it in a good way. We're not talking about mm -hmm. uh, a year of work. It's a uh, you know, few days and you're good to go, or a day. That's awesome. It depends on how how we have oh, growers who have um, who have one hundred thousand acres, okay, of orchards. Wow. So it depends on how big you are. Yeah. Oh man, that's awesome. So it sounds like these dealerships are really playing a critical role for you guys. Where so you were doing this yourself, but now you're letting them handle the setup and you're turning into more of a product company. Uh, tell me more about the dealerships and, and that part. All the market is under transition. Think of it. Mm -hmm. Those dealerships have sold metal for the last century and now they need <laughs> uh, to be a, a precision provider. And there is a lot of discussion about it. Okay. How I love the sold metal. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, um, it was a big question of, are we, when a, a dealership is installing uh, a kit, 
on a tractor and we want to see that every section was done correctly. And will he be opening a Jira ticket? Yes or no? Can he do it? Yes yeah. or no? And we found that um, the dealerships, um, they understand that they must be able to do it. They must. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, in a way, we are working with them together, hand in hand, on how to do it correctly. So the technicians mm-hmm. are uh, also, uh, uh, it's not a software technician, it's not DevOps, but it's uh, what we are starting to see in the world as a robotic technician. So it's a uh, 95% of their job will be on the mechanical mechanical side or concept of operation side. But when needed, yes, you open a laptop and connect. Wow. How, um, how large is your operation with everything? Like how many dealerships are you working with? How many robots are you deployed on? We are, we are just uh, the first years. Uh, we are now, uh, seeing ourselves growing more and more. Uh, we have around, uh, you know, 100 tractors running around already, and uh, there are 400,000 tractors waiting for aftermarket just in permanent crops. Uh, yeah. Our goal is to get to 10,000 uh, in the next few, few years with uh, those dealerships together. Um, wow. This is a, an amazing experience. Um, main idea is how do you grow while doing making sure that safety is a top priority mm-hmm. how do you grow where gross margin is important for yourself for the dealerships and also mm-hmm. for the uh, growers to have a positive roi we have all that fixed and now we're just scaling more and more capabilities and it's like a spiral development and mm-hmm. more like the metrics in a way that okay i didn't know how to do how to run in apples uh, trees. Uh, uh, now I know. I didn't know how to uh, do spraying. Now I know. So another capability, another capability mm-hmm. along the life of the project. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned spiral development. So mm-hmm. it means gradually. So can you describe the spiral to me? Yeah, with sure. That? Uh, like it's you're adding a, more it's, features as you're going? Yeah, it's, an, it's kind of an agile a process and uh, yet you can sh- see it in a long-term roadmap okay uh, how okay how many type of tractors do you know how to uh, transform so we know around 20 already how many type of uh, crops do you know so we started with almonds then pistachio then uh, trellis like uh, uh, then citrus then uh, apples then uh, all the others how many types of implements you know? We started with spraying, then herbicide, then mowing. Now we're doing harvesting with the harvesting company. So oh, wow. all those capabilities that you're adding, and it's great because we are transparent also with the dealerships, transparent with the growers. They know what to expect along their upcoming years. All the updates are uh, over the cloud. And... And it's, again, uh, in a way that uh, you can enable progress without buying a new iPhone every year. Mm, Because it keeps shipping updates for this kind of thing. So they don't have to necessarily buy more tooling. I would even imagine that if, um, say, you upgrade or something, you can just add more compute. You can leave the sensors. You can leave the actuators. 
And so the upgrades may be somewhat painless. Yes. Um, I mean, like relatively in terms of cost. The idea and they probably drop back into the same system. Yeah, on the hardware, we're trying to maximize as much as possible. Those sensors are amazing and we can maximize much more. I gave you an example. We started with the, using the LiDAR for navigation. And now mm -hmm. we also know how to, with the blue spray, we know how to save on spraying because while you navigate, you know that there is a missing tree. Let's tell the sprayer to stop. So yeah. these are examples of how you create more and more application along the years with the same hardware. Uh, and our goal is uh, not to change hardware as often as uh, uh, others might be. Uh, we just don't want to go through that effort. Oh, for sure. Yeah, especially if it's already working. Yep. It makes sense. Just keep going. Now, tell me about scaling. So um, your main, so you've gotten 100 tractors operating how many hours uh we've roughly? done more than fifty thousand hours already uh, that's uh, amazing uh, our growers have uh, three hundred thousand acres even a grower we're doing a roadmap with a grower who has a grower would have anything between 10 tractors to a roadmap we have growers with 400 tractors so you'll go with four yeah. tractors and then uh, 12 and then uh, go up to 80 percent of the fleet you don't need all the fleet and yep. yeah. so this is the idea of how we so night. it's a land and expand mode in a lot of places we we've been in california mm. then we now we're also operating in washington state we're gonna mm -hmm. we're going to be in europe and i'm guessing by the end of the year starting with some uh, uh, checkups over there and uh, 2025 with more goals over there and Australia is also with huge demand and asking us to come. I, I just find wonderful find it hard to be awake on three continents at the same time. So we'll see <laughs> how we're growing. Yeah. So the, the the need is huge enough. The market is totally huge. There's enough room for another ten blue whites in the world. Yeah. Um, so you know, or way is, more uh, this because is hundred to four hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it'll be exciting. How, um, just for more context, how quickly, how has growth been looking? I imagine it's on an exponential curve. Like in the next year, I would imagine maybe you have a thousand tractors or something like this. It, it depends what will up, be the, the, the method that we want to do. We are emphasizing okay. ourselves uh, this year. We are going out now with generation three. Now generation okay. one was to take uh, the person out of the cabin uh, where mm -hmm. you still seeing other autonomous companies in the world and in other areas we still have the safety driver in the in the tractor generation two was how that you don't need to look at the tractor it can just run and mm -hmm. it will work and it will know what when to stop or run and everything and you have the redundancies in generation three that we're now going out with is all the tractors are operated by the customer and to awesome. be operated by the customer, we are looking for all the feedbacks that will happen along the year and getting more and more mm -hmm. understanding what is needed. And then boom, we can, you know, I, we can send the kit really to a sure. dealership in Australia. We don't need to go there over the cloud. We know how to upload. He's doing the onboarding <laughs> and we're done. Yeah. Okay, so it's more of um, stages and maturity and then you can keep on running. I see. So the, if I understand correctly, then the scaling challenge at the moment is you're letting in only enough customers that you can handle the feedback. And then as you 
get ready, uh, you'll take on more and more and more yeah. until um, basically it's, it's biting off what you can chew right at the moment. Exactly. And in parallel also uh, creating the how do you educate a dealership to do all that work? How do you uh, deal with uh, two sides, the customers, the dealership, and also your uh, kids and, uh, you know, uh, meantime between failures, meantime between losses and things like that, that you mm -hmm. want to make sure that you are maturing it and then you can uh, scale it up. Uh, part of uh, this last round that we just closed, uh, round mm -hmm. C, was is around that area that we can, okay, the go to scale to the just like you talked go to those uh, big numbers yep. and then you know getting it from zero to one is a one uh, obstacle then one to ten is a huge obstacle yep. one yep. ten to one hundred and from one hundred to thousand this is the this is the area yep. that we're dealing with now every change in magnitude yeah for sure yeah very exciting just uh, to get an, a guess of how how big of a market we're talking of to operate a tractor today in California costed the grower $100,000 oh. yearly cost. Okay, 400,000 tractors are running and think about the yearly cost that they're charging. So in, in the U.S. is more expensive, in other places, in Europe is also as expensive. So yep. think about how, how much money we can reduce to the world on the operation cost on the chemical costs and the amount of tractors and in that way also maybe to make sure that you and I can keep on eating food in a reasonable price yeah. and because fruit is getting more expensive, almonds, good food is just getting more and more expensive yeah. and we just need to control that. And on the other side, yeah. the amount of money that the growers are willing to pay us because we save them money. So it's easy for them uh, to say, oh, you give me 70% uh, uh, cost reduction. Yeah, wow. sure. You can have $30,000 a year on the tractor. <laughs> no worries. Okay. So this is how big the market is. Do you think that that kind of savings, like 70%, is feasible? or It's happening what? now. I think it can be That's... more. And this Do is without think, so... dealing with the yield that the data can give you on even improving yield we but oh, we just I our approaches and our approach is first and foremost less cost on let's take down the operation cost and yep. and because and you can compare value. it and then talk about mm -hmm. yield because i can okay who will pay until yield is proven this was the mm -hmm. big question and mm -hmm. you know it's season and every season and every time so first of all when you have certain costs and immediately downgrade the cost, it's automatically the grower sees it. Mm -hmm. That's really remarkable. What do you think? So as you guys get more economies of scale in what you're doing, you mm -hmm. make it so that the dealerships are the ones interfacing mostly with the customers. So you're mm -hmm. not, and the dealerships are not um, fielding you many questions because most of the things a customer wants, you already support. Yeah. As you get that level of scale, um, what kind of reduction in tractor expenses do you expect? Do you think it could be like 90%? Like where, where's the upper limit of this, would you uh, imagine? We will see uh, it's about trust. The more the trust yep. and the adoption will be, it will, higher. will be higher. 
we'll see uh, less and less. We're, our assumptions are around 85% on cost and around uh, 30 to 40% on the amount of actual tractors that are needing. You need them to run around. And I love that. This is, a, this is a huge amount of uh, capabilities. It's the only way also, you know, we're going to be 10 billion people in 2050. And, and the way we are making food today is just not enough um, mm -hmm. to feed everybody. So this, yeah, is, that, this is a critical part. I agree. And then also um, I, getting into kind of the labor discussion on this, I think we're of the same opinion with this, where it's we just don't have enough people for these roles. Um, there's such significant labor shortages that we're, a lot of farmers are probably trying to hire people and unable to. Um, like a lot of people don't want to go into farming and don't want to be tractor drivers and this kind of thing. But can you talk a little bit about the labor? Do you know how to uh, ride uh, with a shift gear? Yeah. Okay. And most of the uh, people at your age already don't know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, you need to press a clutch to drive a tractor. Uh, we don't burn a clutch. <laughs> Grow, uh, young people, they don't know. They just don't know how to drive a tractor. And uh, not only they don't know, they don't find any reason to drive for eight or 10 hours uh, with the chemicals on them and oh, suffering yeah. or being at the, the high sun and suffering from that part. So it's yeah. not, uh, it's, we see even uh, in you know, Latin America and any other place, you don't have people who want to do that job anymore. Uh, and the baby boom, baby boomers are now starting yeah. to get be in pension. They are uh -huh. starting their pension. They are. They were I think the last. More than half of them are retired yeah. now. At this and, point, you know, and they, yeah, exactly. And they were the last uh, tractor operators and running. So, and the amount of tractors uh, that is needed is huge. So, mm -hmm. I think, uh, I think just in just in Washington State right now, there is a lack of around thirty thousand tractor drivers. Wow. Uh, yeah. And the prices are, uh, you know, they soared above $20 an hour a long time ago mm -hmm. and to drive a tractor in California. So these and the quality is not good enough. And when you wanted to, a person to drive two miles per hour, eight hours, the same speed, okay, mm -hmm. he, he, he's unable. And downtime, you need to stop, you need to, you know, to have a rest, to eat, and everything. So mm -hmm. in an eight-hour shift, we found out that people are driving, the tractor is driving around four and a half hours. When it's an autonomous vehicle doing the same thing, you do the whole it's time. seven hours and ten minutes because you just stop for refills on the spring. <laughs> okay, great. you don't stop for a chat. You can coordinate when uh, the refilling will be, so it will be always... One in refill and all the other three are still running. And mm -hmm. somehow when it's meant operation, everybody's gathering around at the same time for a refill and, you know, uh -huh. to have a chat about uh, Sunday's football. And so this is, uh, this is, this is what's happened. And 
So it's not just on the quality on being accurate. When you're asking a robot to drive two miles per hour, it drives exactly. It's mm-hmm. if you want to do when there is an anomaly, you react immediately. You don't postpone it. Uh, availability. All those issues are just huge. And what is also beautiful is that we see people coming to Blue White, to Fresno, to Central Valley, to Washington State, to Yakima, coming from Seattle, coming from San Francisco, from the Bay Area, saying, hey, I love this. I can work with the iPad. And diversity-wise, it's not just men. We have men, women, handicapped, and everything. And in, with the ability to operate. And when we're talking to growers, they say, at last, at last, there is a reason for my my son or daughter to come back and work with me uh, and not to send them uh, to uh, to work in Amazon in Seattle or something like that. So hmm. we are transforming the new blue color of 21st century from pilots and drivers to robot operators. And we see it live in front of us. That's so cool. What do you... Um... So I guess, what role will the farmers have in this? So I, I love the vision. Um, where, where is the person adding value to the operation in this, the farmer? This is a, the autonomous farm is not a farm without people. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a farm with people that have robots that help them and they have data system that, help, uh, that gives them recommendations. Uh, mm-hmm. But bottom line, the decision making, the hunch, the what is needed, uh, and it's a data-based uh, decision making, and uh, this is what's happening. And we see it in other places. We see it in our classic day-to-day other job that we are doing, and uh, that we get recommendation if it's how to drive from one place to another. Yet you still have you still drive, right? Uh, and other things like that. The idea is that we want those people who have so many skills and hunches about how the farm should run and they have the ability to just deal with this and not deal with, okay, the simple things of just drive that block of 200 acres, two miles per hour. We shouldn't put mm-hmm. a human on that part. Put them on, okay, should it be today? Should it be tomorrow? Let's look at the, uh, uh, oh, it's going to rain right now. Okay, so let's go and do this and that. These are the areas where we see humans uh, bring the maximum factor. And uh, it will be like that also for quite a while. Yeah, I like that. So they're the decision makers. And I imagine there's also a lot of tasks that are just hard to automate around the farm yes. that plenty of people will be involved with too, but they can shift from also doing the tractor work to just doing these very hard to automate tasks. And it makes the labor gap a little smaller. Beautiful that kind of thing. Great point. Uh, uh, I will use that also when I talk uh, <laughs> the next time. Uh, because yes, what we, for example, we, we ins- insisted to keep the seat vacant. With that you can in a switch of a button move from autonomy to manual because you cannot do everything or you you no. just, I don't know you want to do uh, take it uh, cross it uh, through a, 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 a paved road 
uh, and to bring it to the other side of the block uh, to another place that is without uh, it's not um, out there so uh, mm-hmm. all things like that the ability to go from manual to autonomy the ability to do those uh, uh, hard tasks or those tasks that we talked about that are yet to be accomplished uh, definitely yes do you think that we're so what strikes me is, so I, I think this is an incredibly smart approach where it's you allow the humans to still use the machinery just as the, the tractor, the, just as they would before it was outfitted with autonomous capabilities um, so that they can do certain, un, certain unstructured things that would probably be a pain to get the robot to do. And maybe yeah. it's just a one-off thing. A lot of growers use it as meditation, by the way. <laughs> They just say, hey, I need just one hour to drive with my tractor. Yes, don't take it away from me. I'm guessing it's like horses. Okay, you still like to just ride a horse. But uh, at the time, but to do the job with the horse, uh, no, I'm okay with that. (laughs) Yeah, like I like driving just a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to drive all the time. Exactly, exactly. Eight hours a day is too much. (laughs) Too much. That's so funny. They're like, I'll just go in there, see how it feels and see how it's running. I love that. But so going just a little further, going further into the future, do you imagine that we're going to start building agriculture? Maybe, and I wonder the timeline for this, but um, building tractors and things like this that are not manned, maybe we can optimize them so that they don't have, like, I'm sure that there's different considerations in making a tractor that would result in a slightly different form if we say, oh, it doesn't need a human on it. Um, Do you think that we're going to be moving towards there? And I think the approach of retrofitting existing tractors is much smarter than trying to initially create tractors that don't, like custom-made, very expensive, they need to buy a whole new fleet again. Um, But moving towards in the long term, Mm -hmm. a world where tractors may not have people on them ever. Um, Tell me a bit about that, I guess. So, uh, this is my personal view, okay? Um, And we can track it also from uh, what we've seen in manned and unmanned aerial vehicles, uh, in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, What I think we'll see in the next I'd say three to five years, we'll see more and more um, uh, tractors that are coming out of the line that are more digital mm-hmm. and with, uh, you know, going from mechanical to uh, digital and from digital to drive by wire. And then the next generation would be with sensors already integrated inside. And then we will see what is beautiful about tractor that is a multi-mission. Okay, I can do it for so many things. And so the, the growers are more innovative than whoever invented that tractor on what, <laughs> on what to do with it. So you yeah. still want that flexibility, this multi, multi-mission uh, vehicle. So I, I see the seat staying there Always vacant there. for quite a while. We will see some classic robots where it's not a seat, like just uh, uh, for certain, uh, uh, just like, I don't know, uh, landmowers or uh, uh, that we see in our house, near our houses, 
or uh, all kinds of you know cleaning machines and things like that. So the very simplified ideas. The thing will be the balance on the cost of material. Uh-huh. And these machines are huge. And if now, because you don't have a chair over there, half of the season, it just sits and you're not using it. It's not, not the correct good. way to do yeah. it. So, and yeah. so I think this, and we will see until I'm guessing 2030, 2035, at least, and we will see still tractors going out with manual and autonomous. At 2030, mm-hmm. we'll start to see them uh, with the autonomous inside uh, capabilities uh, and still think about transition and how long does it take to adopt and things like that. So we're off to a hybrid aftermarket uh, area for the next uh, 15 years, uh, 10 mm-hmm. to 15 years. It's Again, it's a huge investment to buy a tractor for the growers. It's... Mm-hmm. Zero thought in a way, very easy once trust is made to take an aftermarket kit because you see ROI. Small example mm-hmm. uh, just to have a cabin on a tractor with air condition and anti chemical uh, uh, capabilities because you are driving in chemical area environment. This alone costs more than the setup fee of an autonomous vehicle. Yeah, wow. Um, most of our tractors that you will see around are without a cabin at all. Hmm. Oh yeah, because so then the person's just sitting out there, and yeah. for these really poisonous um, tasks, you just you don't go have a person there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I like that, and it makes a lot of sense what you were saying, where it kind of gradually bleeds into having more of these auto- features that would enable autonomy. Yes. I would think of it; it's almost like uh, vehicles. Like uh, cars yeah. would be kind of similar where you add ABS brakes and then you add lane keeping and yeah. then you add and it just gets more and more sophisticated. Now cars have ultrasonics on them and you're starting to see different sensors. Some have cameras um, and then eventually it enables more and more autonomy. Yeah. You'll still and need that, uh, see that. Yeah, you'll still need that autonomous uh, that uh, operating system that you are system. used to. So uh-huh. so you don't you still want that blue white autonomous uh, system that is able to operate a operating system for any type of tractors whether it's autonomy from the shop or aftermarket and you'll mm-hmm. still want the uh, connectivity on the implements to make sure that everything is running and uh, going correctly you still want the ability to use the data uh, to different mm-hmm. uh, various uh, areas and mm-hmm. so these are the things that the you know keeps it evergreen on the need mm-hmm. for that and what we see also that we will see more and more blue white algorithms and capabilities that have been matured with millions of hours implemented yep. in the tractor companies inside yeah yeah that'll be so cool because i would imagine from your perspective as that shift happens in 15 years or more to become like where you don't need the seat for the operator, Mm -hmm. I would imagine uh, blue white will be incredibly well positioned to make the jump to autonomy without an operator seat. Yep. Um, And that will be awesome. We want to be uh, the leading company for data driven farms, off-road mining, and hopefully space. Uh, The first, uh, oh, so the first farming okay. in space will be, and also I'm guessing the last, will be by robots and by autonomous vehicles. 
<laughs> we yeah. we see uh, ourselves as farmers uh, and working with the farmers uh, wherever and whenever humankind is uh, needs. This is where we are. Yeah, and so the big advantage. Well, I guess if you solve this problem for tractors, you can also solve this for big mining vehicles. It's a fairly similar problem. Yeah. I would imagine maybe it's more waypoint routing and this kind of thing rather yeah. than back and forth, yeah. but it's still following a path. Yeah. It's just too point. costly to mature it over there to do 1 million yeah. hours in, in mining and 1 million hours in agriculture in agriculture. Oh. I can do it while people are earning money. That is such a clever thing. I, I did not understand that. Yeah, you're right because you're getting these, these um, tractors are mowing. If you can automate it, you can have them mowing around the clock. Yeah. And then you're getting so many hours of operation. You're testing your systems, maturing those, everything. Those algorithms that are not really still on the decision-making side, but they're on the maturity side. So you have yep. like a real, a real live laboratory uh, that is mm -hmm. running and not just the simulation that we're also doing. Yep. And also providing value too while it's learning. Exactly. I really like that. Yeah. What's the... What's the space applications? That sounds so interesting. Like, what do you imagine for that? I have no idea what farming in space or uh, mobility in space. I guess if you're on Mars and we want to drive things around from here to there, we probably want autonomous systems to do it. Is that what you mean? Or yes, definitely. What kind of yes. space applications? These are, the, these are the applications that will be sensor-based before we are doing a global positioning system in each uh -huh. and every uh, planet. Mm -hmm. And the idea is uh, oh, how do I cool. uh, can uh, navigate and monitor and there will be those implements that are space implements that are needed to do whatever is needed over there. So there will be always the relationship between different type of vehicles that are running, different type of implements that are running and operating systems that can suit them all and integrate mm -hmm. everything. It can be either not just air vehicles, but also air, not just ground vehicles, but also air and ground altogether under one operating ah. system. And the idea that yeah. the, 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 the core infrastructure of what we have built and we invested a lot on the infrastructure is to have the ability to grow and to adapt to mm -hmm. those areas and not to be just stuck and pinpointed on, on one certain vehicle, one certain implement, one certain mm -hmm. environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be limiting for sure. And so having it be flexible for all these vehicles opens up a lot. And then, yeah, you have such diverse applications or domains, um, space to mining to farming. That's very cool. Let's see. So with space, just one more space question, then we'll get back to more <laughs> practical things or uh, more so sooner things, I suppose. Um, do you imagine it'll be on the moon or on Mars or where would you think would be like the first application? I, I think vehicles? it will be in a place with an atmosphere, whether it's an atmosphere so uh, done moon, by right? human humans, a dome alike, or a place that has some kind of an atmosphere. Gotcha. Okay. Very cool. I can't wait until that future is here. I hope it's not too long. <laughs> uh, I hope uh, I'm guessing it will happen uh, into your lifetime. Yeah, we'll see. Let's see. So um, 
So I wanted to talk about the data because we haven't really talked too much about the data mm -hmm. that you're getting and then the uses for it. So we've gone up the whole application stack. You have these actuators and sensors on tractors and then you have a cloud that connects it to farmers. And then you mentioned the ability to use that data in flexible ways to maybe assess, uh, I don't know, help them with insurance or help them assess crop health over time or whatever it might be. Uh, tell me a bit about the data and how you expose it and just how, how that whole process of adding value from the data that you're capturing works. So uh, first and foremost, we see ourselves as we are in charge of uh, whatever is moving in the farm. And while it's moving to collect data and to distribute it to whoever needs it, as long as mm -hmm. the grower approves it and, and mm -hmm. without infringing uh, privacy. So the idea is that I don't see our blue white as um, the company that needs to do agronomic evaluation. But think of it, if I can send whatever an agronomist needs in order to evaluate what should be the spring next, the next spray event, or is it the time to uh, start harvesting or any, or can I predict yield? It is through the cloud, through the data lake that we are, we are, uh, we have, we can process to whoever on demand, depending on, depending on the demands to whoever third party is there. So we can go to Rose and say, hey, okay, who's doing your yield prediction? Okay, it's, it's somebody in the farm or a company that you're working to, with. And we can mm -hmm. fill them up with the, inform the information. For those data companies to gather the information, this is what, oh, what really kills yeah. those uh, companies because they're spending mm -hmm. so much effort, time, money on the operation cost to collect this data and we can help. And this, mm -hmm. the same yeah, data can help anyway. to so many applications. The same mm -hmm. data can help, you know, carbon. People are talking about carbon savings and uh, weather saving, all that, you know, all those things. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I, I really like how you guys are drawing lines of what you'll do and what you'll let other people, like this is an opportunity and you guys could, maybe it becomes part of your vertical in a sense where you start helping people with the analysis of the data. Uh, but that's a future decision to make. Yep. But for now it's like there's a line drawn and you say, it's not our core competence. We're gonna collect all it. We know it's valuable. Uh, but these other companies, like other, businesses can be founded around analyzing the data that you guys are generating. And so it's another, it's, it's a, it's clever to me where you are deciding you're going to focus and what you're going to allow other people to scoop up for value in what you're already doing. First of all, I think it's very important in general and uh, mm -hmm. not to bully and not to be uh, so aggressive and to think that we can, uh, uh, be, you know, ruling all the world. Second, uh, we are a, a value-based company. Our values are fellowship, love of the land, and innovation. When we talk about fellowship, it's a, this is an exact example of what we're talking. We are not coming to the agriculture business who's been working for more than a century in a certain way and say, okay, we don't need dealership. We don't need growers. We don't need tractor companies. We don't need the data company. No, we're blending in. We want to be enablers to all. We want everybody to say, hey, you know, Blue White is helping me. 
it was on the operation cost it's not my cost it's uh, about the people and the people who work there their health care their safety the ability to work without have their having their back ache or any other hazardous uh, event so this is how I see it and if you are focused and you are in a way you are transparent in where you are this is why we have so many great connections with the uh, data companies like uh, telus and others that are working with us and the uh, and uh, communication companies that, that we talked about uh, we have from Israel or from the US, we work with Intel and others, growers, mm-hmm. uh, big, uh, and also OEMs and also dealerships. And maybe it's mm-hmm. too a topic, maybe I'm too optimistic, but this is how I want to do it. I think it's the better way to do it. It strikes me as, I mean, even, like, even if it wasn't ethical, your position on this, I think it would be pragmatic. Um, and what I mean is that you can't do everything. And if you try to do all of these other areas to monopolize it, you'll spread the company thin. You need to raise even more money to do even less good across yeah. more areas. Um, so I think focusing on a core competence and then getting everything running, and then you can say, okay, maybe you can really work with these data companies yeah. or like in the future, yeah. but um, for now, just saying, hey, you have access to this, it's all free, you, or maybe not free, you, they can pay for it even, yeah. um, but it still is cheaper than them flying drones over the farm to but, try to gather their data, yeah, this kind of thing. Exactly, and uh, you know, we need to be humble, uh, yet assertive. On autonomous vehicles, yeah. you understand, and how to go yes. from zero to 100 or from 100 to 10,000, we understand in this area. We've done it before. Yep. To be in places with no GPS, we understand. This is our happy place. But, uh, you know, we need to know what we know and what we don't know. I had no idea about agriculture. And my co-founder is an amazing, uh, he grew in a farm and he he was with tractor all his life. And so, you know, do what you know how to do. Learn from others more things and decide your boundaries. Yeah, definitely. So... Tell me more about, so you said your co-founder has a lot of experience with tractors and with... He just grew on a farm. Uh, grew up on a farm. Nothing better than that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Is that a big way of, because what strikes me is that you guys are really trying to, and you, you said it earlier, you're trying to fit into the ecosystem. You're not trying to just like bully everyone and push them over and say, we do it all differently now. Exactly. You're trying to say hey, I can make this one pain point easier, but everything else you know and work with, we work with too. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a bit about that, making yourself fit well in the ecosystem and maybe the role of your co-founder in fitting well in the ecosystem. First of all, it, again, it comes with the values and attitude. This is one. Second is mm-hmm. the ability to be as transparent as possible. Uh, when you are transparent, when you are saying, okay, this is what I know, know how to do, and this is what I don't know, uh, it creates openness. Uh, and uh, the ecosystem, what I like about the agriculture ecosystem, that there is no logical reason to be in agriculture unless you are passionate about mm-hmm. the mission unless you are passionate and you, you understand that you are part of a greater cause, a greater cause of uh, making food available. 
uh, to the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you also understand that it's about trust. And trust is critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these values resonate together with uh, the goals of uh, myself and Yair, who founded the company with me. And um, together we understood that uh, these values, uh, these, this is what will enable us to work correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I think you could probably even say that about robotics. So like doubly true what you're doing, where there's not a reason to be in it unless you're passionate about the mission. Oh, yeah. Um, so robotics <laughs> and agriculture. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like well, I'm doing squared. it for, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm doing it, I'm guessing almost 20 years dealing with unmanned systems and robotics. So mm-hmm. um, I love it. I think it's, uh, I think it's part of the future. I love being part of the disruption. I love seeing the, the transformation uh, from, you know, talking about will there will be adoption of robots there to discussion of where the hell are the robots? I need them now. <laughs> yeah. So, and, sure. and also the understanding also people, okay, robots <laughs> cannot do everything. It's not going to fly and give you coffee the right uh, on the porch uh, and uh, and while it does it, it also answer your telephone and send the email and do what you know <laughs> the balance and understanding of what it can do, what it cannot do, and mm-hmm. also on the development side to start with very repetitive, non uh, missions and tasks, and you know just go it step by step. Uh, do it with safety uh, mm-hmm. don't alienate it make it very simple to use um, make it in a way uh, not just bipartisan for everybody but also multi uh, uh, type of uh, people that can run it uh, no matter on your uh, how sophisticated are you uh, you know these are the things that really creates at uh, the bottom line these are more important, the blending in, the, the business model, uh, the usage of existing assets. This is much more important than another algorithm mm-hmm. that is uh, over there. Yeah, for sure. And it's also just the pragmatic way to approach it, too, I think. Um, so I really like that. One, so you've mentioned safety a few times. Tell me about making your equipment safe. For this and I wonder like do you do safety certification work or like match some sort of standards or how, how do you make oh, yeah. your system we, safe? We spend a lot of time on that one uh, from the system architecture from mm-hmm. the models from the ability to um, to uh, record and learn and what we have done also we've integrated because it's a new area we've integrated a few standards from urban mobility, from a military standard, from agriculture standards, uh, from machinery standards, all mixed mm-hmm. together. And in a way, we have internal safety commissions. We have external safety analysts to look at it. This is critical. This is backbone. And mm-hmm. we are doing debriefs. We are collecting data of mishaps not just something that happened, something that might have happened. Uh, even for example, awesome. So these are, these are critical things of how to uh, go. 
It starts from system engineering. It, it goes uh, along with the system architecture and redundancies, 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 and uh, going the approach from inside the envelope, not breaking the envelope. And you cannot throw a tractor to a ditch and say, oh, it was uh, too much. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, and I, get, I bet that um, safety is a big part of the trust, getting, getting uh, farmers' trust, getting people's trust in general. You need safe systems. They need to trust you with the tractor that they have, and they need to trust your system to treat it well and not drive it into a ditch, as you say. <laughs> there are so many accidents every day with men and with humans, and we're still mm -hmm. talking about Tesla accidents or Uber or Cruise or any others. And, mm -hmm. and still they're much safer, but it's very hard to explain that it's safer <laughs> and because uh, it's a technology and you're afraid and uh, you're a bit skeptic and you don't have control. You feel that you don't have control when it will happen. And so, you know, take it slowly. Uh, at the end of the day, it is statistics. Okay. And, accidents will happen for sure mm -hmm. you need to Definitely. see uh, and to reduce as much as possible uh, did you expect it did you do the correct risk, risk mitigation uh, how was mm -hmm. the risk analysis for that how how was how a bigger surprise was it for you uh -huh. this is how you look at it how uh, but when it happened did you not try to cover up or were you open about it and uh, published a debrief about it so everybody can learn? It's yeah. about that, okay? Uh, transparency. Uh, this is, uh, you know, mistakes happen. We're doing lots of mistakes every day. The question is, how do we behave when they happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. If you take ownership of it and say, okay, we understand it. We're trying to fix what's happened. Yeah. Um, we had a, like we had we an assumption. Up, the assumption was wrong. Anything like that, you yep. know. I think it goes in everything in life. But when we're talking about robotics and the integration and you know dealing with adoption and the maturity, safety must be at the top level. Yes, for sure. Um, now I wanted to make sure we had a chance to talk about your. C round of funding. So first, congrats Thanks. on the, it was, if I remember correctly, was it 39 million for C round funding? Yes, or? it was a $39 million. We've raised up to now around $85 million. We are uh, humbled that it's uh, with uh, not only existing investors who believe in us, but also new investors coming in and uh, joining the gang on this crazy journey and mm -hmm. we have amazing workers uh, and amazing uh, and customers and uh, that we are working with all of them they've also uh, uh, sent and expressed their uh, uh, love and their uh, appreciation of what we're doing and it also Wonderful. resonated with the investors I think everybody understands how big the task is uh, of uh, creating this capability to the world. And we have investors from uh, Israel, from the US, from Mexico, from uh, Canada, and mm -hmm. coming in and saying, hey, we want to be part of that uh, journey.
so this is what is going on right now we mm -hmm. see this investment that it will enable us to take it to the next step of maturing the product in a way that it can be distributed worldwide and and, and to grow with more and more capabilities as we talked along this discussion and mm -hmm. you know until the next uh, and think the next either ipo or round uh, this is where we're going to and you know Stay tuned and get oh, excited. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And we are available uh, to anyone. I mean, to be an entrepreneur in uh, robotics, uh, you need to be passionate and you need to be a dreamer. And mm -hmm. would love to help to anyone that is at uh, this uh, state status, and uh, whether it's personally or reach out to blue white uh, people and oh, yeah. uh, LinkedIn or any other media that you think. And, and, you know, just remember that uh, values come first. doesn't matter what you do. Mm -hmm. Make sure that values come first always. That's what I have from my side. Hell yeah. Yeah, it seems like you guys are a very value-driven company, which is really nice because it's, it's very cool to see. I imagine you've been this way since the early days and seeing you as a larger company now, who's in an exciting position to start scaling yeah. their work and the values are still driving you, which is very nice. And like doing a debriefing when something goes wrong. Like I really like that idea. Um, I feel like a lot of companies may just try to shove it under the rug when something goes wrong, but being transparent and um, I don't know, trying to lift up the whole agriculture industry. We have responsibility. Seems yeah. I mean, to take this round, if, if we fail, the next investor won't invest in the other robotic company who might be the successful mm -hmm. one, right? So we cannot fail. Uh, and we need to, to be very mindful of what we're doing. We have responsibility mm -hmm. on the agriculture. We have responsibility. It's not just uh, take the money and run. This is not, not why at this age, I've decided to spend every time of my life on, on this, uh, on what we're doing right now. So mm -hmm. it's responsibility and um, that's about it, you know? Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah, because you, you, you see a need and you are trying to help it. Yeah. And you're right that there are big implications for any startup that's following because if the big robotics startup goes bust, it makes, if, if uh, an investment in robotics goes bad, it makes all future investments a little more difficult. Yeah. Um, and it may discourage people and it, you may um, burn some farmers. And if you burn some farmers, maybe they're hesitant to adopt yeah. robotics technology in the future. So yeah, it's interesting to think of it as an ecosystem. Yeah. Robotics, if you're in robotics in the next decade, um, Think of yourself as a crusader. And Love it. This is how you and think of it that you are responsible to how fast will the world adopt those capabilities. <laughs> and you, if, and if you have a hunch that it's a wrong path, what you are trying to do, you are correct. <laughs> Go to a better one, and uh, you know, make it easier. Make it easier on yourself. Make it easier on the ecosystem. Develop what is needed. But uh, you know, you know, be uh, 
uh, it's a warrior type uh, environment where you need to do it uh, and I believe I see amazing companies uh, here mm. and and I see also amazing successful companies that I wish we can be just like them hell yeah and um, yeah I think the next years for robotics are going to be exciting and difficult yeah. and I, I see it as um, very necessary. Like I, I've been kind of focusing on the labor shortages yeah. um, for a while. And I really feel like robotics is a way that we live <laughs> in the future while labor shortages are happening and populations are aging and this kind of thing. And we maintain our quality of life. Um, I feel like robotics has an important, yeah. it, it will be important for us to figure out how robots can get in and help I think in a it's, lot of situations. You are correct. It's labor shortage and labor transformation. Mm -hmm. You don't need to do this job anymore. Okay. You don't need to. Mm -hmm. There's no reason. If you want to work out, yeah. just do work out. Uh, don't, <laughs> don't take stones on your back and climb a, a hill. <laughs> just makes sense for work you know yes. I, I just wanted to say really first of all thank you for having me and it was great uh, that you you have this show thing talking about robotics talking about from the technology but not just the technology how to implement it to the world uh, I listened to uh, some of your uh, 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 podcasts before and I learned from this a lot uh, I I hope more and more people will come to the show and, and share, and, you know, not just the, the happiness, but also the struggles. And there are a huge amount of struggles in order to make it. And uh, mm -hmm. really, just to say thank you for having me here. Hell yeah. Well, it's been absolutely wonderful um, speaking with you and learning more about Blue White. Cheers. So, thank you. All right. Bye, everyone. See you, everybody. Bye-bye. You made it. What'd you think? Blue White is doing a great job, aren't they? What other robotics companies have you seen that are doing a good job fitting into an existing ecosystem like agriculture? I'm curious to know in the comments or on X. If you like this interview, you'll probably like the weekly spaces I'm hosting on X. I often have a guest and we do a short interview where you get to ask your questions. They've been a lot of fun and there's a great community on X. If you're interested, they're Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Just look for at Audro on X. That's all for now. Happy building.